Well, good evening, and uh, thank you to, to Ricky and to the musicians for, for leading us uh, so far. Uh, it would be a good idea if you could uh, keep the, the Bibles open at the passage from Acts chapter 4 that Ricky uh, read to us earlier. Before we look at, at that passage, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for uh, all that it teaches us in all the different forms of uh, literature that are used. We thank you for the, the usefulness that uh, your word is to us uh, so many years after it was written. We pray for this story that we've read about tonight in Acts chapter 4. We pray that that would be relevant to our lives today and that your Holy Spirit would work uh, in our service tonight and would bring alive to us uh, a message from you. Amen. Last summer, we had the, the opportunity to have a, a family holiday in Italy. And from the, the moment we mentioned we were, were going, the, the kids got very excited. Uh, they had found out that Italy has a, an equivalent to, to Disneyland called Gardaland. And they gathered together lots of, of information uh, about this and uh, were delighted when we got to the, the apartment block to find the receptionist there. Had even more stuff to bombard them with of all the, the joys and delights that, that Gardaland had to offer. Now, it's not really my scene, and I managed to, to hold them off for a few days, but uh, eventually we could contain them no, no longer, and uh, the day came when we said we would go. No problem getting folks uh, up, dressed, and ready to go out that morning. Um, the excitement was as high as the temperatures were, uh, and as we set off for what seemed like a, a half-hour drive, the, the, the energy and the noise in the car was um, a little overwhelming. But we hadn't gone very far down the road when we discovered that it seemed like every Italian had decided that that was the day that they would go to Gardaland as well. And as we were driving down the road, we soon rapidly ground to a halt. What should have been no more than a, than a half-hour drive turned into something close to three hours in the soaring temperatures. Now, never one to give up earlier. We did a, a eventually make it. But we arrived in a slightly different spirit than we'd set off. The energy, the excitement that there was at the start uh, soon turned into to frustration and a, and a difficult time. Now tonight, if you've been listening carefully to the story that, that Ricky's read, you'll see something of that uh, in Acts chapter 4. Up to now in the story of Acts that we've looked at, there's been lots of energy and excitement of all the things that were happening in the early church God was doing great things in people's lives and in many different ways. Think of some of the things that we've seen up to now. We've seen ordinary people being forgiven, receiving forgiveness from God. We've seen the Holy Spirit intervening in their lives in miraculous and, and powerful and dramatic ways. We've seen people learning from the apostles at their feet as they, they, they've heard from God's word. We've seen Christians worshiping together. They've been caring for each other. They've been witnessing outside their fellowship. It's been a dramatic time, time after time in the first three chapters of Acts. The chief actor can be seen to be the Holy Spirit as he moves through the, the church and the early Christians with incredible power. But then, but then comes Acts chapter 4. What a different story we hear. What have we seen tonight and what we've read? We've seen arrests, imprisonment, punishment, Something seems to have gone awry as persecution has for the first time in the early Christian church begun to raise its head. 
as the disciples and the other Christians began to speak out to tell others of God's good news. So those in in power and authority seek to silence them and prevent them from doing that. And yet that shouldn't have come as a surprise to the disciples especially because Jesus himself had warned them that that's exactly what they would have expected. In Luke's gospel, these words are recorded. It says, they will persecute you. They'll deliver you to the synagogue and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and governors on account of my name. And all men will hate you because of me. You see, Jesus recognized that his message would divide people. Some would embrace it openly, but others would react strongly against it. Such a challenge confronts Christians today. And that's not only, I think, in countries with a long history of hostility to Christianity. We can all think of those of Islamic states, of communist states, of secular states. But I suggest here in Northern Ireland, as secularism rapidly replaces Christianity as the basis upon which our society uh, rests, persecution against Christians will rapidly raise its head. For centuries, Christianity has been the very bedrock of how those in power and authority seek to govern uh, our land. Those in political power embrace the core values of Christianity as the core values of our society. The UK was known throughout the world as a Christian country. But today I think the situation is very different. We see all around us the rise of secularism, of pluralism, of relativism. Our society no longer bases itself on Christian principles. And in doing so, it often turns the notions of political correctness uh, to decide how we should govern ourselves. If you've been following the news this week, you might have noticed that on Wednesday night, uh, the House of Lords voted to abolish the law of blasphemy. And one of the the peers who spoke at that debate summarized it very neatly when she said that the House of Lords were facing a simple choice. Are they going to abolish Christian beliefs and replace them with secular beliefs? And if you've seen the outcome of the debate, they chose to abolish Christian beliefs as the basis of governing society. Whatever the causes that lie behind that, as we've talked about already, our society is rapidly moving away from Christian principles. And indeed, often today, we are in conflict with it. You see, at its very core, Christianity proclaims an absolute truth. There is one God, and there is one way to him. And yet, in a society where pluralism and relativism is honored, Christians proclaiming that absolute truth are bound to run into conflict with it. You've probably already seen some examples of that if you've you've been keeping up to date with the news. Christians in England and and Wales especially who proclaim God's good news in the public place have already had a knock at the door from the police and face interrogation and interview. Or the British Airways employee who chose to wear a little little cross to work, again, uh, sat upon by her uh, employers for doing that. And yet, as as Christoph encouraged us to to do this morning, the Christian church is called not to be insular, but to look outside its walls. And in doing so with society around us, as it is today, conflict is going to arise. So what better time is there, in light of all that, to look at Acts chapter 4 as a case study in persecution of Christians and how to react to it? 
Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember that Monty shared with us what happened when Peter and John went up to the, the temple in Jerusalem to worship. There they met the, the crippled beggar, and in a miraculous way, they healed him. But of course, after that, they then spent time in the, the courts of the temple proclaiming God's good news to the people there. They proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And that's where we left it in, in Acts chapter 3 last week. But now if we, we move into Acts chapter 4, we'll see Peter and John still in the temple courts proclaiming the good news, but a variety of other powerful individuals enter there. You'll see them there listed in, in verse 1 of chapter 4. The priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. Now together these groups had a strong connection to the temple in Jerusalem. They had much to be concerned about with what Peter and John were saying. Their job in life was to guard that temple, the most holy place in all Judaism. The place where for a thousand years the one true God had promised to meet with his people. Those individuals oversaw the sacrificial system, the, 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 the way in which God had promised to interface with his people and to restore fellowship with them. They controlled the very heart of Jewish society. And in doing that, they wielded great economic, social, and political power. But the message that Peter and John had just proclaimed, a message that that old order of things had been done away with, was, of course, a great threat to them. The, the coming of the Messiah was causing them real difficulties. From their point of view, this challenge to their power and their authority had to be nipped in the bud. Now, just as Peter and John proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ in their time and faced immediate and powerful opposition, I think we need to expect that today as we do likewise. But take great comfort from Acts chapter 4 and the opening verses of it. As we've already seen in Acts, and as we'll see in the weeks to come, no one, however powerful, can stand in the way of the Lord Almighty and the good news that he wishes all men to experience. For even as Peter and John are being arrested, we see if you look in, in, in verse 4, many who heard their message believed it, and the number of Christians grew. Let's learn the lessons of history, that despite opposition, despite persecution, God's church will grow in the way that he chooses. You'll have seen that from stories that have emerged in the growth of, of the Christian church in, in communist countries in China or Eastern Europe, where Christianity was sought to be declared illegal and the church oppressed. But that's not a, a truth that applies only to, to times long ago, uh, as in, in Peter and John's day, or to, to countries far away. It's a universal truth that applies to us right here in Northern Ireland today. Take great comfort from the lessons of history. Despite opposition, despite persecution, God's church will grow in the way that he chooses. Now, after a night spent in, in jail, Peter and John appeared before the, the highest Jewish court in the land, the Sanhedrin. If you think about it in very practical terms, that must have been a terrifying experience for them. The odds were very much stacked against them. Numerically, there were 71 judges and only two of them, probably about something about the number that's sitting down in the congregation tonight. 
all stacked up against Peter and John and just the two of them. Think about the status of who those people were. They were the the most educated, the most well thought of in the land, the high priests, the ex-high priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. All people, people who Peter and John would have revered from childhood. And here before them stand two fishermen from Galilee. Think of the recent history that Peter and John would have been very familiar with. It was this very court who had been part of the process that had led ultimately to Jesus being condemned to death. And we've already thought about the the, the message that Peter and John were proclaiming. How difficult it must have been for that court to have heard that message. They weren't sitting there as, as impartial judges. They knew that the message that was being proclaimed was very much a challenge to their status and their power. And yet, as we've said, before that court stand Peter and John, two uneducated fishermen from rural Galilee. But despite the peril they faced and the difficulties they faced, they refused to be undaunted, as we'll see. Now, you'll see in verse 7 how the the trial opens with a, a direct question being posed to Peter and John when they're asked, by what power or what name did you do this? Did you heal the beggar? And you'll see in in verse 9, Peter replies with his characteristic directness when he says, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he goes on to say, For there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Now on a human level, for all of the reasons we've, we've just thought about, it just didn't seem possible for Peter and John to have spoken uh, with such boldness. Remember, it was Peter who'd hung around the edges of the courts when Jesus was being tried, uh, who denied that he even knew Jesus. The courage that he lacked there, he made up for now. But how is it that he finds such courage in the face of such difficult uh, circumstances? Well, I think we find the clue in, in verse 8. When you see that, Luke tells us that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we've seen from our, our earlier studies in the book of Acts of the mighty change that comes upon Christians when the Holy Spirit chooses to intervene in their lives. We've already thought about in this series together how that, at conversion, God gives all believers the Holy Spirit to abide with us. It's a universal blessing that each one of us enjoys. The Holy Spirit brings God's blessings to us in a number of specific ways. And tonight we want to think about just one. The Holy Spirit can empower us to proclaim the truth about God boldly and with great power. We'll see this again and again in our future studies in Acts. We see it elsewhere in the New Testament. We must never forget that whoever or whatever we face, we have part of the almighty Godhead with us, the Holy Spirit with us at all times, working through us if we let him. In times of great trial, in times of persecution, knowing that we have the Holy Spirit inside us brings us great comfort. It's so obvious to see why the Bible tells us that we can be still and know that that he is God when we realize that that powerful Spirit is with us on all occasions. Now, despite the fact that we have the Holy Spirit with us, um, we often have difficult decisions to make When the demands of those in authority are in conflict with the will of God. Now the next exchange in the story that we'll see between Peter and John and the Sanhedrin provides us with some pointers as to how we might approach this. 
as we've talked about tonight already, this isn't some uh, academic uh, study that we're having tonight or uh, some lesson from history. But I suggest it's going to be something that we're going to have to give some very careful consideration to in the months and years that lie ahead in this country. Well, what were the Sanhedrin to do? They faced a difficult choice. They couldn't deny that a man had been healed. And yet equally, they couldn't shrug their shoulders and ignore what Peter and John had proclaimed because to do so would have been to tacitly confirm that resurrection can take place and that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So for now, they appear to be a bit stuck. Now, as we're going to see in in later weeks, as the story of Acts unfolds, they'll find plenty of ways to punish Jesus' followers. But in tonight's story, in what must have been a bit of an embarrassing climb down, all they could do was to tell Peter and John not to speak any more about Jesus. But they must have known that when passing that sentence, they were really trying to, to shut the door after the horse had bolted, because by this stage, there were literally thousands of believers in in Jerusalem who were openly sharing God's good news. Peter and John's reply to the Sanhedrin's demand forms a a very interesting uh, study for us to look at. It sets out the basis of how Christians should decide on their attitude when the demands of those in authority conflict with the will of God. Let's look at verse 19. In effect, Peter and John say to the Sanhedrin, you're the judges. Judge this one. If we're standing here today in God's presence, should we obey God or should we obey you? Now they they answer their own question, of course, when they say that they and the other followers of Jesus are not going to stop speaking in the name of Jesus and of the things that God has done. If they have that choice to make, it's obvious they will choose to follow God. In short, for our purposes, if there's a conflict between the wish of those in authority and the wish of God, we must follow God. Now that today may cause us to stand as Peter and John did before judges. We may face ridicule in the media or mockery by our peers. But the call from Acts chapter 4 is clear. When the ways of God conflict with the ways of man, our obedience must be to the call of God. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that that would be easy, that you just take that simple formula and apply it and there would be no difficulties. Not all decisions we face will be black and white, but it does give us an important framework to guide us in how we approach questions like that. Now, the Sanhedrin, as we see, sent Peter and John on their way, really without any further punishment. They went back and they found the other believers what would you have maybe would have expected to have found? I suppose you would have expected to, to find a sense of, of depression or of despair as Peter and John report back on what had happened. For the Christians, their future must have seemed pretty bleak. What appeared to lie ahead was a, a life of, of conflict uh, with the Jewish authorities and the world in general. One could easily have expected the Christians simply to have scattered and dispersed and to have gone elsewhere. However, I think their reaction serves as an important reminder and a lesson to us today. At times of trial and at times of persecution, the Christian church doesn't scatter and disperse, 
but joins together. And we see that in verse 24 where they came together. Not only I think it's important that we stay together, but it's important as to what we do when we come together in times of, of difficulty and of strife. Look at what they did when they came back together. They didn't form some sort of a, a self-help group where they, they sought to meet together and to find some solace and comfort from each other. But they appealed to a higher source, to Almighty God himself, to bring them guidance and comfort in difficult times. Now recently in Kirkpatrick we've been looking at uh, some of the prayers recorded uh, in the Gospels and to see what we can learn from them. I think in tonight's prayer that we see that the believers offering, when they met together, we can learn much from it as well. A prayer for those who are in difficulties and who face persecution. Let's have a look at the, the prayer that's recorded. The believers start off by acknowledging who God is. They openly declare that he is the sovereign Lord, a declaration of his unchangeable and unchallengeable power. But they don't just do that in the abstract, but they give some concrete examples to assist them in their thinking and take real ownership of this notion of the sovereignty of God. They recall that he is the maker of heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it. Look again at verses 25 and and 28. There we see a whole series of different groups in society society that are listed. And even in situations where it appears to be, whatever it appears to be in the form of nations, see that in verse 25, kings and rulers in verse 26, whether it's Herod or whether it's Pilate, where people appear to the world around to have absolute authority, they only exercise it in as far as God permits them to. We must never, ever forget the sovereignty of God to see out his sovereign purposes in the way that he wishes. We must never forget, however bleak the situation that we face, God is sovereign and will rule in the way that he chooses, not in the way that man chooses. Now with the the groundwork for their their, their prayer prepared, the main thrust of their prayer is, is straightforward. Let's think what it's not. They don't pray, Lord, please stop them persecuting us. Or even, Lord, please convert them. But rather they simply ask that God would consider them as they face persecution. Essentially they're putting themselves into God's hands and leave it to him to decide whether the persecution is to continue or is to stop. Their focus is on proclaiming the message. Now we thought about that last Sunday morning here when we looked at the parables of the the weeds and the net. How it is for God to decide how to deal with those who disobey him. Our task is a positive one and it's a simple one. We are to proclaim God's good news whether by word or by deed and leave it for God to judge how to order the world around us. And that's why we see in verse 29, the Christians simply ask that they would speak the word with great boldness. And of course, that's the very thing that the authorities had told them that they weren't to do. Here we see Peter and John putting into practice exactly at what they have been told not to do. What an example that is for us 
as we face trouble and persecution. Not to concentrate on the negative things of life, but to concentrate on the positive message that we have been given to proclaim. For Peter and John and the other Christians to have obeyed man would have been to remain silent and passive. But to obey God allowed them to proclaim the good news and to bring healing to those who were broken. Their choice was a stark one. Would they obey God or would they obey man? The choice is obvious in what they said. They chose God. How tempting it is for, for us as we face difficulties to pray, Lord, take it away. Our Lord, stop these difficulties from coming. But perhaps we've much to learn from the example of the early church. We should leave it to God to order the world as he sees fit. And our task is simply to act, to proclaim the good news, whether by word and deed. I have little doubt in this generation that we'll face persecution in a way that the Christian church has not had to face in this country for many, many years. As we openly seek to proclaim God's, new, God's good news, there are those in power and authority who would wish to restrict us from doing so in the public square. And yet that's exactly what God's word calls us to do, to take the good news out to those who don't have it. And so I think my message tonight is, is one of, of telling you that there are difficult situations ahead but yet one of which we have much to learn for tonight in Acts chapter 4. We don't go looking for persecution and conflict with those in authority. But when it comes, let us learn the lessons from Acts chapter 4. Remember the simple formula, difficult to apply but easy to state. If there's a conflict between those in authority and the will of God, Christians must follow God. As we face times of, of persecution and of trial, we do so not on our own, but we stand together with our fellow believers. Whoever or whatever we face, we have the Almighty God in the form of the Holy Spirit with us at all times. And let's learn the lessons of history that God's church will grow in the way that he the sovereign Lord wishes. Amen. Let's pray together.